time for school days. Help for moms and dads of school-age kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids. But I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allow them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, help for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I'm Danita Bailey. You probably keep hearing the buzz phrase, social-emotional learning, or SEL, a lot these days. Schools have jumped on board with it, incorporating SEL into the school day and training teachers and administrators to adopt SEL curriculum and even incorporate it into core subjects. Extending this kind of learning into the home and our daily routines helps kids strengthen their skills by allowing them to practice it in situations that just happen organically and with different people. Research shows that social-emotional learning not only improves achievement by an average of 11 percentage points, but it also increases pro-social behaviors, improves student attitudes towards school, and reduces depression and stress in students. Individuals with a strong social-emotional skill set are primed for greater academic success and success in life. And kids are learning to practice social-emotional skills early. Daniel Tiger from PBS's show Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood popped in my mind the other day while I was researching for this episode. And if you've ever seen Daniel Tiger, you'll know that he shares great tips for dealing with your emotions set to catchy songs that help you remember. Like, for real, I've actually been helped by Daniel Tiger before. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought I'd play you guys a clip. Let's play some music! You can play too. Clump! Like this. When you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. Before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or a negative advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show and the hashtag I Am School Days. And also, we want you guys to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-431-5062. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest. Priti Ahuja worked in advertising as an account executive for a decade before attending Erickson Institute for her Master's of Science in Child Development and Early Childhood Education with an ESL specialization. She worked as a teacher in Dallas for five years before transitioning to her current role as a social emotional learning coordinator. So thank you so much for joining us, Preeti. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, and we just found out we actually just we worked both in advertising at the same company, but just in different states. Yes. So that's kind of cool. Cool connection. We're we're family from way back. (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump right in. So you work as a social emotional coordinator in an SEL department of a local school district. So what does that even mean? What does your job entail? So um, Dallas ISD, um, my my current executive director proposed as a special project working on social emotional learning in the district um, two years ago. And so our department is two years old. Um, We now serve a little more than half of Dallas ISD schools. So um, what we do is we give professional development, we work with administrative teams and teachers. Um, We talk about emotional intelligence and everything that has to do with social emotional learning. So um, I have various schools that I work with um, and um, it's the gamut. I mean, sometimes I'm visiting, observing, and coaching teachers directly. Um, later today, I'll be coaching an administrative team and coming up with a respect agreement with them uh, for them to use. And so it's really, um, there's a lot of education. There's a lot of misconception about what 
SEL is, mm-hmm. and I like to call it SED. I like to call it social emotional development because um, I think we're all on the road. Um, and I would say probably the most challenging part of my job is really um, adults. There's a lot to unlearn. Oh, yeah. Um, and so the, the unlearning is really hard. Uh, and then and then once you do that, you can you can learn and replace behaviors and habits. Well, for example, what kind of things are you having to help them unlearn? Um, so there you you can't give something that you don't have. Yeah. And so if you don't um, have emotional, well, not everyone has levels of emotional intelligence, but if there are areas that you need to develop, um, then you can't give that. As a parent, as a teacher, um, you set the emotional climate in your classroom. Actually, can I read you a quote? Sure. Or can I read everyone a quote? This is my favorite quote. Um, and this, this applies to parents. This applies to teachers. It's by, um, I don't know how to pronounce his first name, Jinnat Haim. Haim is his last name, H-I-H-A-I-M. I've come to a frightening conclusion that I'm the decisive element in the classroom. It is my personal approach that creates the climate. It is my daily mood that makes the weather. Mm. As a teacher, I possess a tremendous power to make a child's life miserable or joyous. I can be a tool of torture or an instrument of inspiration. I can humiliate or heal. In all situations, it is my response that decides whether a crisis will be escalated or de-escalated and a child humanized or dehumanized. Mm. And so really the work is with adults. Um, If we wanna help children, we really need to get on board and help ourselves um, respond rather than react. We need to think about um, some of the the punitive policies we have in place. Um, We don't, everyone has great intentions. We all have really great intentions, but we have habits and behaviors that we've learned from teachers, from parents. Um, you know, we tend to parent like we were parented. Um, many times we tend to teach like we were taught. Um, it's just what we know. It, it, it forms our worldview. And so that's what's hard to change if it hasn't been an ideal situation for you as an adult. Mm-hmm. And I love that quote. I mean, you always hear, you know, if mom ain't happy, nobody happy, that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. But we, we as parents, we set the tone for the home. And I can tell, you know, if I wake up in a bad mood and I'm not, you know, peppy and happy or if I'm whatever, my kids tend to, you know, be chameleons and pull that into them themselves as well. Absolutely. I think they're emotional bridges that we all have between each other mm-hmm. and we can feel it, you know, and you know, um, kids, when they want to get your attention or they want to push their buttons, they know how to do it if, if you're not in a, in a place where you can respond versus react. Yeah, so. absolutely. So what, what is social emotional learning? So social emotional learning is comprised of um, four main competencies and then a fifth that kind of brings everything together. So there is self-awareness. This is a lot of people think that they are self-aware, but many of us are not self-aware. This is actually the most difficult competency, I think, to cultivate um, and practice. And so what self-awareness is, is really are you how tuned are you to yourself are you able to identify your emotions um what kind of conversations are you having with yourself um do you know your strengths your limitations so um Eckhart Tolle's book Power of Now he talks about his realization where he he kind of said the words um and then I told myself or I thought to myself so inherently that's two use right that's that metacognitive element um, can you get on a, a balcony and observe yourself? Um, and so that's, that's really self-awareness. How, how tuned in are you into who you are? Um, self-management is the second competency. So there's two competencies that are focused on self. So the second is self-management. This is really um, how do you self-regulate? Do you have impulse control, um, self-discipline, um, setting goals and achieving them? Um, I think probably these two competencies are the ones, and I know we'll talk a little bit about mindfulness and meditation later, but these are really strengthened 
um, by mindfulness and meditation because you're really working on yourself. Mm -hmm. The next two competencies have to do with social behavior. Um, and so the, the third competency is social awareness. So how good are you at reading people? Um, are you able to uh, read tone, body language? Um, do you have some level of empathy? And we'll talk uh, later about three kinds of empathy um, that uh, is defined by Daniel Goleman. And so just, you know, norms, just recognizing other people, being able to read them. Um, and then the fourth competency is relationship skills. So now that you kind of have a picture of a person, how well do you relate to people? How do you manage conflict? How well do you communicate? Um, just how, how do you work in teams? How do you collaborate with people? And so these are the four main competencies. The fifth is uh, responsible decision making. And that's just a culmination of those. How do you, um, how do all those competencies interact for you so that you're able to make responsible decisions? And I would imagine that the first two, the self-regulation and the self-understanding are kind of contingent, or the, the last three are kind of contingent on the first two. Absolutely, absolutely, because um, you practice with yourself. So you, you can't give something you don't have. So if you don't practice self-love, it's really hard to give love to others. Uh, if you're not able to tune into yourself, it's really hard for you to tune into others. Mm -hmm. uh, so absolutely, they're very interconnected. Yeah. This is something that's really new to schools. Really, I feel like in the last two years is when I started hearing about it. Mm -hmm. Why are school districts starting to focus in on this? Um, I think there's a great need. Um, we, everyone is talking now about how much kids are involved with social media, um, how isolated they are. Uh, Jean Twenge, she has a great book out uh, called iGen. And she talks about trends that are happening with kids now, um, where they're not looking to get their, their driver's license and, and have some freedom. They'd rather be driven to the mall and meet up with friends and text when they, you know, and they're, they're connecting via, um, you know, emails and texts. Uh, so it's a, it's a different form of connection, which is not what our brains are. That's not the way our brains are wired to connect. Um, we, you know, when we have face-to-face -face interaction from development, we're, um, we're getting thousands of messages from the human face. So the eyes, we're tracking tone, we're tracking so many different things that um, allow us to connect with a person. And so in the absence of that, um, what we're seeing is that children are more isolated. Um, a lot of times you'll see, you know, in restaurants, homes, uh, children are eating with devices in front of them, uh, or they become the devices become babysitters. Right. And um, what does that lead to, right? What that leads to an absence of what is that taking the place of? And so um, social emotional learning helps buffer that because it's inherently about um, connecting and uh, belonging and psychological safety. Um, I think there are various other reasons that schools are um, paying attention to the soft skills. For me, I got into education because I wanted to address, address the achievement gap. And what I noticed once I was in it is, yeah, I'm addressing the academic achievement gap, but there is also a big achievement gap in soft skills. Mm. So cognitive skills can only take you so far. Right. Um, literacy and numeracy can only take you so far. And then the world is open beyond that, right? And so um, Daniel Goleman also talks about um, EQ versus IQ. Mm -hmm. So he works with a lot of CEOs who are not valedictorians. They have IQs of about 100. And people who work for them have IQs of about 160. Because they've got the skills that really matter in terms of relating and leading um, and, and being thought leaders. And I think with the problems that we're going to be handing over to our children, um, economic, political, environmental problems, they're going to need that. They're going to need to be able to communicate cross-culturally and to be able to tackle these big problems. And you can't do that without emotional intelligence. Yeah. Um, should I keep going on just positives of why? I, I can keep going on this forever. Well, but I have another question. Yeah, sure. There's so much focus on the test now. 
and um, acquiring the math skills and the reading skills that you need to be successful on this. Have you seen pushback from teachers or administrators about taking time out of the day from math and reading and the, the tested skills to work on things like this? Absolutely, all the time. This is the biggest barrier to implementation. We don't have time. And I think it's because most people see social emotional development as a dichotomy from academics, and it's not. Um, it's, a, it's a prerequisite. I mean, think about, and I, when I talk to teachers and I give PD, um, often I'll have them think about what they do in the morning to sort of set up their day for success. Um, and then I have them shift that and think about their students. So, you know, can your students pick up some coffee on the way or listen to whatever music they want to? Can they come in early to organize their things, to organize their mind, to make sure that they're ready for school? No, no. it's our job to do that as teachers. Um, there is so much research, so much research on psychological safety, feelings of belongingness, um, feelings of community that lend to learning. We can't learn. This is, this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, and I, at the bottom of his hierarchy of needs, he has, you know, physiological needs. But I would argue when we are stressed, when children are stressed, or anyone stressed, you can't even digest your food properly. Mm, mm -hmm. um, because cortisol shuts off all those necessary systems. And so a lot of times, um, you know, you have students in the classroom saying, oh, my tummy hurts, or, you know, I just don't feel good, you know, and it's like, okay, we'll send you to the nurse. But it's emotional. It's, it's anxiety. Right, mm -hmm. right. It's hard to tease out what is physical and emotional because it's the same center in our brain that manages pain. What would you say to someone who said, so you said the five factors of emotional intelligence are self-awareness, self-management, uh, responsible decision-making, social awareness, and re relationship skills. What would you say to somebody who says, well, aren't these things that just evolve naturally? They do. They do. If So when I was in grad school and we would observe different ages of, student, of children playing and we would analyze their play and write these papers, I was observing all of these things. This is what I was observing. And I think years later... My husband sent me an article on LinkedIn um, talking about emotional intelligence and leaders. And there were like nine, nine or 12 competencies outlined. And I pulled out my paper and I said, wow, I was observing all of these in pre-K students. Um, because um, during that play, they're practicing all of that. They're practicing impulse control. If you have to be the cat that has to be quiet and hide, you know, you can do that for 20 minutes because you're, you're in that flow, you know, kids are in that flow when they're playing. Um, so it is natural, but I think like you mentioned in this atmosphere of testing, it's lost. Uh, approaches like Montessori or uh, other approaches that pull from child development that have that trauma-informed lens or child development lens um, are inherently um, infused with social emotional learning. Uh, it's, I think, traditional, you know, kind of traditional, all the desks facing the front, the teacher is in charge, mm -hmm. you know, that that's where that's where it's, it's really needed. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you should say that because I told you when we were talking before the show that my husband's gone back to school, but he's gone back to school with a whole different lens because of this show, honestly. Yeah. And he has decided to take all of the desks out of his room. He's putting he's making his room like a lounge. So he's got different lighting and he's going to have um, like gaming chairs, not for gaming, but for sitting differently. He has a big rug that you can sit on with some, I don't know something that you can write on and still you do your work high bistro chairs and low chairs and things like that because you know he's he's somebody who learns differently um and we know that this, we're not all cookie cutter we're not right. all sit in a desk sit forward types of kids right and so he's he's used some of what he's, le he's learned from being on the show um to to change things up the environment is so important and getting input from students so in my classroom, I had nothing in my classroom before students got there. We sat around the rug, 
we did guided discovery. We Every material that we had, if it was a globe or whatever it was, we would find a place for it together. The Hoberman sphere, where should we keep this? This is ours. You know, we're, we're a community. The environment makes such a big difference. Even, And I take everything applied to children and just, okay, as an adult, just think about as an adult. How do you feel in this environment? Mm -hmm. Okay, now multiply that 50 times and that's going to be how kids feel in this environment. So, for example, with things like clip charts, a lot of teachers still use clip charts in their classroom where their, you know, kids can be on yellow, red or green uh, if they're doing really well. And, you know, when I'm advocating for taking those out, I always say to adults, how would you feel if your principal was walking down the hallway and you were on yellow? Or you were on red. Like, how does that, does that motivate you to want to do better? That's so funny. It's shaming. It's absolutely shaming. And so things like that are a lot of my job. Mm -hmm. Getting, getting kids to take those bubbles out of their mouth, walking down the hallway. Like they're not breathing. If you, if you, (laughs) if you put your finger (laughs) under their nose, they're actually not breathing. They (laughs) hold their their breaths until they get to lunch. (laughs) They just have to make a bubble. No one told them to breathe. They haven't practiced that. Like, and that's hard. Like, (laughs) you know, um, so it's, and, and those are the things that need to be unlearned, Uh you know, um. So, yeah, that's so funny because these things that you're mentioning, I'm thinking, oh, I never thought of that as being a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a situation in a classroom where a teacher was giving stickers out and she gave a student a sticker, a star sticker that was red and he lost it. He completely lost it uh, because in his, his mind, red is bad. And so it's a lot of that stuff that has to be battled you know, and learned. So when stu- even when students are coming in from a different classroom into yours, they have things to unlearn. Yeah. And so you as an adult really have to get on board to changing all of that yeah. and rethinking. And the, and the environment is a great way to start with that. That's great. What are the more difficult social and emotional skills to acquire? Definitely self-awareness. Um, most of us, you know, if you asked, if you inter- went around and interviewed people on the street, people would say, oh, yeah, I'm very self-aware, you know, <laughs> and it, it's like 90% of us are not self-aware. A self-awareness practice really requires you to go within yourself. Um, it requires mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one, and, and it informs everything else. And so, you know, the the conversation you have with yourself is the most important conversation you have with yourself. So people who are self-aware are celebrating themselves. They're practicing gratitude. They're they're looking for joy in life. It's a a learned optimism. Um, I think most of us, we don't do that. We don't talk to ourselves like a friend would talk to us. Um, We don't, we're not in a habit of, saying affirmations to ourselves. Uh, so it's, it's learned. It's, um, it's, I think it's something that you have to actively work on. I don't think maybe for some people it's innate, but it just, it's, it's the core of resilience. Um, and it's the only way that you can manage and the only way that you can relate to others. So it start with that, starts with that. And I, I'm, I'm not saying that mindfulness or meditation is a panacea. There are a lot of other skills, you know, that we need to work on, but I would say that one is the most difficult and definitely the most difficult with adults. I love that you said we don't talk to ourselves as friends. I was listening to something. I'm going to try not to botch this because my memory is not bringing it back completely. So, but there was a woman who, let's say she spoke somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And her friend was in the audience. So she went up to her friend afterwards and she was like, so how'd I do? And she was like, oh, I just didn't think you did a good job. And I don't like your hair and your shoes don't match. And you just, um, you, yeah, you, you didn't speak correctly in these areas. And you said you were going to talk about this. And I, I just didn't think that was a good idea. Yeah. But in reality, that friend was really herself. It wasn't a friend. It was herself. Wow. That was her own self-talk. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I think... Although that it is, it is uh, one of the most difficult competencies to develop, I think 
we can take solace in in that our brains are plastic. We can, it's it's not, EQ is not fixed like IQ. Mm-hmm. So we can always develop that. Um, I think in schools and for younger children, um, they don't, I guess the approach needs to be less cerebral. So we, it wouldn't be this conversation like we're having. It would have to be more visceral. And so um, something like mindfulness is some is a way that they're strengthening their prefrontal cortex and strengthening their self-awareness without knowing that they are mm-hmm. even. So it's kind of learning is best when you don't know that you're learning. Absolutely. And so it's one of those things um, where I think with older kids, um, some of the more, some of the SEL programs, journaling, things like that, all of these are different ways to strengthen your self-awareness, but bringing attention to how you talk to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I journal about that a lot. Um, my girls and I, we journal every night. We'll just write down joy, gratitude, and we celebrate accomplishments, mm-hmm. things that we don't naturally do. And then we share those with each other. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some journaling that older kids maybe do. Can you talk about some of this, the different ways SEL is best taught at different stages and ages? Yeah, I think, well, let's see, pre-K to about first, second grade, it really needs to be play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs to be, one of the things I really advocate for across all grade levels, and you, I'm big on mornings, I'm big on morning routines, is coming in and doing a morning meeting. And so this is where... Um, children would come into the classroom. They would, the teachers would welcome welcome them at the door, but then they get in a circle and they greet each other. And when I model this in classrooms, I ask kids, do you greet someone at home? Like, how does that feel? And we practice handshakes. We practice greeting each other. And afterwards, when I ask them how that feels, a lot of times the kids in, you know, third grade and up will say, someone will say, that was uncomfortable. That mm. was weird. Because uh, we're not used to that human face-to-face interaction, especially with something like a handshake. Uh, but some, but they really like it and they think it's cool. So it starts with a greeting and then uh, you share something. So it can be a quick, you know, sentence stem. I'm big on making connections, every possibility to make connections. And then you play a game together. So you have an activity or a game. So th- those, with those three components in the morning, those needs of safety and belonging and that need to interact and talk and human connection interaction that's been met so you have less attention seeking through the day oh that's great and i wouldn't even call it attention seeking and call it connection seeking Mm. um so otherwise when those needs aren't met i mean kids are kids they need to play Mm -hmm. they need to move they need to connect they got to talk about their weekend or whatever it is, the newest video game. Uh, and a lot of times they come to school and we don't, we don't make room for that. We right. don't make space for that. A lot of times kids, younger kids will think their teachers live at school. They know nothing about their lives. <laughs> and so, and I've had, you know, I've had multiple times I've had teachers pull me aside and say, hey, this is the most amazing thing I've ever done in my classroom, like having morning meeting. When I was in Chicago, all the schools, school-wide, everyone did morning meeting every day. And so in Dallas, it was just kind of like foreign to me. Why did people didn't have morning meetings? And one teacher, you know, there's a little girl in the class who had a health issue. And she was being bullied a little bit by peers. And she said once they started sharing, they learned that this health issue was a big factor in her life. Mm. No matter what they shared, it would come up. And over time, there was so much empathy that was developed for her. And she said, and the, the teacher said, I just began to care for her so much more, which allowed me to help her in so many different ways. It just opened the door. And so that community building, that connection, that's, that's the start. And then everything follows. Yeah. So I don't, th- I don't think you can do academic learning without that. You can't take academic risks. You won't answer those questions. Um, you don't, and when you have to, when you have to, when you have to talk, that forces you to think, that forces you to summarize. So it inherently works on those cognitive skills as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also write like we talk. 
And so, you know, that collaboration, that uh, those communication, listening and speaking skills, which is all SEL, flows right into academics. And when you have that connectedness anywhere that you go, if it's at church, if it's at your uh, place where you work out, when you have that connectedness, it makes you want to go. It's such a motivator. Mm -hmm. That's why SEL improves attendance. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I would have, you know, parents, grandmothers come and say, you know, my my son does not want to be late to school, you know, and and then after that, I was like, I need to send a a letter home letting parents know that we're having morning meeting and it's important to be here on time because they didn't Mm want to miss it. Yeah. So you mentioned empathy and you said that there are several types of empathy, which I wasn't aware of. So is I feel like that's probably a particularly difficult skill to learn, is it? So um, so the, the three types of empathy that have been outlined by Daniel Goleman in his book, Emotional Intelligence, are uh, there's a cognitive empathy. And so that's just um, I, I kind of know how you think. I may know like, hey, you like football, you know, so I'm going to talk to you about football. Like I know how to talk to different people because I kind of know what their mental models are. And then, so that's very cognitive. That's a different center of the brain. And then there's emotional empathy, which is I know how you're feeling. So I can read your face. I'm good at sort of that interpersonal connection. I can feel what you're feeling. And then... And does that come from your own experiences? It does. It's, It's often modeled by adults. Uh, it's just depends on kind of the worldview that you've, you've lived through. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm real, as you can see, I'm really big on adults. Like we, we are responsible. Like we have to take responsibility of teaching this. Yeah. Um, the third kind of empathy is empathic concern. So that's, that's where, you know, that's caring and kindness and, um, that's, you know, an empathic concern is a mother's love for her child. Mm. Um, but it can also be in the workplace. Um, I currently have a manager who is the best manager I've ever had. I know that he cares for me. I know that he cares for all of us deeply. Um, and there are various ways that he shows that. So empathic concern is what we're really striving for. And I'm going to take it back to self-awareness because... If you don't practice empathy with yourself, you right. can't show it to others. It's a practice. That's why we call it a practice. We practice empathy with ourselves. Um, another way I think to cultivate empathy is through loving kindness meditation. I don't know if you're familiar with that type of a, a meditation um, or mindfulness uh, technique, but actually, if you want, we can take 30 seconds to do one right now. I would do love that. To? Yes. Okay. So is this different from just regular mindfulness activities no it's a mindful it's a mindfulness activity but it brings focus to um to empathy okay so okay so just i'm gonna invite you just to put your feet on the floor and just feel yourself you know in your seat bring your attention to that and we're just going to take one deep breath And then put your hand on your heart and repeat after me. May I be healthy. May I be healthy. May I be happy. May I be happy. May I be loved. May I be loved. And now think about someone who you're not particularly close to, someone maybe more neutral, someone you see here in the studio or um, someone at the coffee shop who makes your coffee. And just bring that person to mind. And then we're going to repeat. May you be healthy. May you be healthy. May you be happy. May you be happy. May you be loved. May you be loved. And now I want you to think about someone who maybe you have a little bit more of a difficult relationship with or a difficult time with. Someone you're not connecting with someone from the past, someone from the present, and bring that person to mind. And then repeat, may you be healthy. May you be healthy. May you be happy. May you be happy. May you be loved. May you be loved. And we're going to open our eyes. And so, and you can do that where you open your arms 
as if you're embracing the person. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like it's really real, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it almost made me cry. <laughs> yeah, it's um, and the, and you know, there's a forgiveness practice. You know, if you really need to develop, you know, that there's someone in your life, family, coworker, someone that you know that you're with this person. Like this person's not going anywhere. <laughs> And I need to connect with this person. I would like to have a good relationship with this person. This is a great practice. Mm. And even if there's not any conflict, it's just a great practice. And you can practice, you know, sending those vibes out to the world, um, to everyone around you, everyone in this building here. Um, And it, it releases all those chemicals in your brain that make you feel good. If we were hooked up to uh, what, like an fMRI machine right now, um, we would we would see those gamma waves. Like it makes us feel good, mm-hmm. and so that's a way of cultivating empathy. And I would say one more way is again coming back to self awareness, <laughs> um, being able to like having a diverse emotional vocabulary allows you to become more in tune with your own emotions and allows you to connect more with others emotions right so if we get away from just the basic you know sad happy angry tired you know like we we use like seven or eight words (laughs) to describe our emotions i'm gonna pull up the mood meter here for people but um this is a mood meter and there's various, you know, types out there. But um, this is from the Yale uh, Center for Emotional Intelligence. And actually, I'm going to put a little plug in for Mark Brackett's book here. Uh, If you're interested in um, learning more about your emotions and how to express them, this book is called Permission to Feel. Mm, I love the title of of this book because um, sometimes we don't, we don't give each, we don't give ourselves that permission, but I think it enriches our lives in so many ways once we can diversify that emotional vocabulary and and give ourselves permission to to practice it. Every emotion is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in certain places, certain work environments, certain schools, that's not the case. And so this is another big part of something we have to learn. It's okay to um, be anywhere on the mood meter. It's okay to be nervous or worried or troubled or frustrated when you walk into work. Um, But that's inherently what this is about is moving out of those emotions. How do you move out of that to a good place? I saw that they're using this a lot in schools and they actually have an actual meter and the kids are learning vocabulary on how to talk about this. So can, can you talk a little bit about how they're, they're using this and incorporating this into the day? Yeah, um, many classrooms are uh, having students kind of check in in the morning and sometimes it's just a check in and there's some value just in the person that's checking in. Like sometimes there's no one around, but I pull out the mood meter or I pull out another emotion list that I have um, because it feels good to actually be able to name exactly what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's that piece, but people use it in morning meeting, um, talking more about feelings. Um, of course, communicating that it's okay to be anywhere and we we move through these through the day um there's a fifth fifth grade classroom i'm thinking of where a teacher has uh, very small versions of the mood meter taped onto students desks and they they all went out and got a little pebble um from outside and they just kind of move it and so when she's walking around and kind of monitoring she can check in with certain students um there this is being used on a staff level as well i think there's a certain level of vulnerability there Um, not many schools will make a mood meter public they don't want parents to see it or um, but i think that that's where the work is around this you know it's okay if i walked in here this morning and i just didn't have a good morning that's okay why why do I hide that why do I need to be ashamed of that Um, all of the emotions are okay and sometimes I may need to be you know in a uneasy mood if I'm really I'm I'm with a principal and I'm trying to sell SEL and I'm saying hey all (laughs) this research 
shows that we need this. Like, why aren't you implementing this stuff? Why aren't you behind this? I might need to be a little bit in the red when I'm having that conversation. I wouldn't talk to a principal like that, but, <laughs> um, but I might be in that kind of a mood and that's okay. And mm. so it's the permission. It's the permission part uh, that I think we need to work on with emotional intelligence. It's the permission to feel it, but then to also you're identifying it then knowing that there's something you can do about it. Because I think oftentimes we're in a mood and we're just like, I just am in this mood and I'm not sure if there's anything I'm going to do about it or if I want to do anything about it, but just helping them deal with those emotions and giving them skills and tools to move to a better place. And yes, and absolutely anyone and everyone can move themselves out of a mood. Everyone can move themselves out of a mood. Um, you can stop right where you are, and there are different things that you can do. However, again, coming back to mindfulness and meditation. Um, so, you know, you, you, a lot of the listeners, and you probably know a lot about the brain, um, and our, so our amygdala, they're about thumb-sized, kind of right behind our ears, and that's our emotional center. So, um, and up here is our prefrontal cortex, that's our cognitive center. And there, the, the communication between the cognitive center, prefrontal cortex, and the amygdala um, gets interrupted when we're stressed. So all of mm -hmm. our blood is going to our amygdala, it's going from our core to our peripheries, you know, because we're ready to react. Um, that's what happens with kids a lot. And in, in ancient, in our ancient world, we, when we were stressed, that didn't last long and it was a big threat. And now the stress is, you know, maybe for our students, it's, oh, I don't want to sit next to that kid at lunch again. He's going to take my food or, um, I didn't do my homework. My teacher is going to be really upset with me. Um, and that living in that and ruminating in that, um, so, so what meditation, mindfulness, breathing, what these strategies do is they allow you to practice. So what, what are you doing when you're being mindful? Your, your attention is going elsewhere. You know, if I sat here and I closed my eyes, I have a million things to think about, but I'm going to try to keep bringing it back to my breath, my anchor. My attention goes, I bring it back. So I'm training my attention. Um, and so that's why it's, we're, we're practicing that so that when we're in the moment, our brain knows how to do that because it's practiced. So it's built the connections. Right, exactly. Outside of the stressor. Absolutely. And then if you can get on that balcony and you can pull out your journal or not pull out your journal and you can observe what's going on and you know that's the biology of the brain. Oh, that I need to breathe. I'm going to take, you know, some deep breaths and then I'm going to maybe write about this. I'm going to um, think about the emotion cycle. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the stress that we have comes from our interpretation of events. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not the actual event uh, because everyone, you know, if we operate in a world with a positive worldview, we know everyone has good intentions, but our interpretation, you know, is all based on our filter and what we've experienced. So there, there are ways to kind of tease through all of this through journaling, through mindfulness practice, and, and learn to move yourself out of these emotions. Um, the, the, the people at Yale also have an app that I have on my phone. It reminds me to check in a couple of times a day. So I check in, you know, on the mood meter, and it asks me if I want to move, you know, to yellow or green. Um, and then uh, I'll choose kind of where I want to be. And then um, there will be some, I can read some inspirational quotes, or I can look at some um, images of nature, some calming images, and it'll help me, you know, kind of move. And I think in a, in a classroom with students, what that looks like is the calming areas. Um, teachers doing breathing and mindfulness through the day, maybe with some movement, um, not having kids sit for a long time, like you have you sat through some of the professional development that's you know hours and hours <laughs> and you're like okay like i'm done like that that's how a lot of our kids feel mm -hmm. and so um it just helps us to integrate so that we can actually have a less stressed experience at school 
Let's take a quick break to say okay. that if we want to, if you, we would love to take your calls if you have any questions. So give us a call at 214-431-5062. I love that your app asks you if you want to move to a different place. Yeah. Because you have to make the choice to mm-hmm. decide, I want to be in a, in a better place than where I am right now. Yes. And then, you know, so this is, um, I'll show here. So this is energy on this side and pleasantness down here. Mm -hmm. So if you have very high energy and very low pleasantness, that's your red, right? So um, if I'm in the red, I can choose whether I want to go to yellow, which is like excitement, or whether I want to be in green and just kind of be at ease, just, you know, content or whether I want to be in blue. I don't know why I would want to move to blue, but maybe sometimes. (laughs) But yeah, I don't think I want to be alienated or excluded. But anyway, so I can kind of choose what what emotional state I want to be in. And I I just think that's the coolest thing to be able to control your mind and be able to decide how you want to feel. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And you can do that at any time. Mm -hmm. You can do that in the middle of a really hard emotion and you can say, wait, this is what's happening in my brain right now. Oh, I'm interpreting this this way. This is a story I'm telling myself and I'm turning my day around right now. I'm gonna go over here, you know? we, We all have the power to do that and I think that is such a superpower. It's great that the schools are focusing on this because we, can be so distracted by our self-talk and our negative feelings and thoughts and whatnot that we it can keep kids from focusing on academics and what they need to do not only in school but also at home absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely i came across this really great quote okay so i want to i want to give parents some tools um, to be able to support what schools are doing at home This quote says, it takes practice, but you want to see kids' emotional pain like you see their physical pain. It's not their fault. It's a challenge they're facing and one you can help them with. So Mm -hmm. we as parents have a tendency to have expectations of our kids to deal with their emotions when they haven't yet developed the skills to do it. And, you know, if one of our kids broke their leg, we wouldn't just tell them to walk it off. And, but we often do that with emotions and not understanding that, you know, even as adults, we don't have the skills to deal with our emotions sometimes. So kids whose brains aren't completely formed, so, you know, so much more need help and skills. So what are some of the things we can do to help our parent? I mean, for parents to help our children um, to develop some of these social emotional skills? I'm smiling because you just answered your own question. Oh. Because you said <laughs> that parents don't know often how to deal with their own emotions Mm. and they get buried, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Um, The way that children learn about the world is by watching adults. There's, in the absence of adults, there's no way that they could learn what we want them to know or how to be in the world. And so for parents, the work is really with yourself. Mm. How are you talking about emotions? Are you being vulnerable with your kids? You know, are you saying, you know, right now I'm feeling, you know, whatever, whatever those I am statements are, are you using them? If you use them, they will use them. Um, in a classroom, if a teacher uses them, students use them. Mm-hmm. That's how they learn to operate. So the, the, the work is really with yourself as an adult. So last December, um, I, we were, we were coming back to school and on January 6th, I had committed to doing PD on self-care. And so all through that Christmas break, I was doing research and that's when I really started reading Daniel Goleman. That's when I started my mindfulness practice. And, uh, that's when I learned this, like how to create that space between stimulus and response, right? So watching how we're responding to our kids. Mm -hmm. They just model that right back to us. Right. So it really starts with, that's when I started journaling. Um, That's when I really started my gratitude practice. Uh, You know, around the same time, I went out with a friend to lunch and she's like a corporate executive. 
and she she said uh, she she hired a life coach. And so I'm like, cool, like, that's awesome. What's a life coach do? And she's like, I don't know. She just told me that I have to start with writing down three things I'm grateful for every day. Hmm. And so I'm like, really? And you're paying this woman like all this money for her <laughs> to tell you that. to write down? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I'm grateful. Like, um, but I wasn't, it wasn't that, it wasn't that deep practice. It wasn't that, you know, it was just like, yeah, the clouds are pretty. It wasn't that looking at the clouds and thinking about, how that condensation happened, you know, where that water came from, and then maybe being thankful for water and that color, like what color is that really? Um, Just really practicing like that deep gratitude, that changes you. Mm -hmm. And then you change everyone around you. Absolutely. So your children, they just, they're just right, you know, it's like, I, I always when my kids were little, I would say, okay, I'm mama ducky. And you know, they were the baby duckies behind me. Um, that that's what it is They They just follow us. Mm-hmm. They just follow us. And we have such a great responsibility to them, but we have to do that hard work on ourselves. So where do we start? <laughs> as, uh, mom, as parents, where do I start? Yeah. As a parent, uh, as a parent, start listening to your self talk. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe start just practicing writing down one accomplishment, one joy, one piece of gratitude daily, sharing that with your, with your children. Um, I think it's really just that giving that attention. A lot of times we don't know that we're having those negative conversations with ourselves. For sure. Um, I don't know, download, you know, download Insight Timer or Calm. Um, the Insight Timer has some great little guided meditations to bring your attention to these things, to forgiveness, um, to loving kindness, uh, self-love. So that, I, I think that's really where it starts. I really like, um, this is a book uh, by Susan Kaiser Greenland. It's called Mindful Games. So this is what I'm using with my children right now. So before bed, for example, one of the games in here is um, just taking like a ball or a stuffed animal. And so we do this. uh, My husband participates sometimes. I'm still working on his SEL skills, but (laughs) I'll do it with my daughters. So what you do is you just have your stuffed animal or your ball and you say a problem and then you throw it and say a solution. So I could say um, I have I have way too much. I have a mountain of work to do, but I'm going to get up early tomorrow and do it. And so I'll throw it. And then, um, cause sometimes having those explicit conversations with them after school, um, nobody really wants to sit and talk all about their day. Like you're, you know, you've, and they brought, you've gone through it, you've pro- you know, and then now you have to regurgitate it all and reflect and, you know, no kid wants to do that, especially middle schoolers. So, um, but this way we just get a little something about our day and then, um, it's positive because, um, you're coming up with a solution yourself. And then sometimes we get stuck and there's not a solution and we help each other out. Um, so, so it's, I love that it's called mindful games. It's just a, to, to my kids, it's a game that we're playing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not being SEL mom, psychologist person in front of them. It's just a game. And so, um, those type of things can be really helpful, but the work really needs to start with self-awareness with yourself because your aura, your energy, your smile will be different. Your, your engagement, your connection with your kids will be different when you really connect with yourself. Absolutely. I also like the Headspace app. Have you ever used that? I have. I like that it helped. I, I downloaded it a couple of days ago and okay. it did a mindfulness exercise like the one that you did for me. Mm-hmm. So I like that one. Um, I also like understood.com. Oh, I don't know that one. Understood.com is a parenting website. And Mm. particularly, they have something called a parenting coach. And what you do is you select the challenge that your child is having. So let's say we're having anxious thoughts, right? And then you select their grade. And then it gives you strategies that you can use to help your child with whatever challenge that is based on their grade and their whatever their challenge is. So, oh, that's fabulous. I know. They, and so there's all sorts of different topics that you can use them being bullied or whatever. 
Wow. Yeah. That's great for teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's Absolutely. And are there, are there, what are the two apps? I want to repeat the other two apps. You said um, Calm and then there was another one. Yeah. I use Calm and Insight Timer. Mm-hmm. And Insight Timer, you know, you can choose whether you want to, you have five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 plus minutes. And they're different. The guided meditations have different focuses. Um, so they'll just be on different topics. If you just had a really uh, hard day and you're feeling anxiety, there are ones that are for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ones that are for cultivating loving kindness or self-love. Um, so kind of depending on where you are. So I usually, I'll check in on my mood meter app. And then sometimes in my van when I'm sitting there in between schools, like I'll check in and then I want to be in a really good place when I walk in, right? So I have this just thing I do at the threshold, you know, before I walk in. And I do the same thing before I walk into my house mm. um, in the evening. I want to make sure I'm in a really good place because I know, like, I read this quote every day. Like, I know I'm setting that emotional climate. So I know I need to be in a good place. And I know I can get there no matter where I am. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, it's, I think it's it's just been the, the most powerful, most important thing I've ever done for myself in my life is to um, cultivate this resilience. Absolutely. So there are going to be some people who are going to watch or listen to this episode, and they are not going to necessarily want to buy into this because, you know, emotions are things that are difficult for some people to deal with. Um, So a question they might have is, what can you do to ensure that you're not giving your children permission to hyper-focus on their feelings? And how do you balance that with them having resilience? So what I'm saying is, you know, having kids that are just so into their feelings and they can't move on, how do you make sure that by giving this, these skills and whatnot, they're, they're not turning into that kid that can't deal? It's, it's, I think it's having those tools and strategies as a as a parent or an adult I'm, I'm not really sure about that question because I don't think that you can ever spoil someone with um, attention to their feelings mm-hmm. um, most children just like adults don't have the vocabulary to communicate what their feelings are and so us learning more deeply about feelings and helping them name them will help them come out of that quicker for sure. Yes. Uh, so it's that whole name it to tame it. Uh, I'll give you an example. So I was at a school. There was a little girl who was really upset and crying. Uh, she didn't want her dad to drop her off at school. Um, and so I, I didn't know them. I just knew whose class the little girl was in. So. Uh, I just kind of stood aside and then I had this little Holberman sphere in my hand. So um, a little while later, I got an idea and I went over and I said, hey, do you know, you know, where Miss L's class is? Because I have this little gift for her class. Would you mind helping me find it? And, you know, I'm trying to play into, you know, to try to get the let the father go to work and get her to her class. And she's like, well, it's upstairs. Um, and so I said, man, I'm, I'm going to have a really hard time finding that. And so that didn't work. And then I said, um, I said, you know, I have this Hoberman sphere and it, it helps us to breathe in different ways. I was like, I'd love to show it to you. But I was like, I don't want to open it right now till we go upstairs, you know. And so I... Um, I asked her, I said, you know, would you, would you breathe with me? And she said, sure. And I said, would you want to do it down here or upstairs? And she said, no, just right here. And so we did this little, you know, star, it's starfish breathing. We just kind of go up and down our, and we just inhale and exhale. Not 30 seconds later, that girl had, was holding my hand and we were on our way upstairs because the blood flow went back into her prefrontal cortex she was able to think again she was able to listen to me she's like okay because I said you know would you would you show this would you share this with your class with me after that and you know it was amazing it was like magic so getting her to breathe um helping her you know I I, I said I can see that you're really upset I can see that you really don't want to go to your class you don't have to tell me why but I can see that um you know getting down to her level um all feelings are okay and kids need to know that. But I think helping them name them, helping knowing that biology of the brain, 
helping them breathe and connect so that they can think and have that conversation is, is moving them out and bringing them back. So we have strategies and tools to move them out of those emotions. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is kind of the way I see it is we need to know as adults so that we can um, help them as children. Yeah, I think that some people want pe- want you want your kids to hurry and get over it. But the problem is, is that you can't. You the feelings we have are the feelings that we have, and our brains work the way that they work. So we've got to figure out how to get control of the feelings that we're having and work through them using these strategies that you guys teach in your schools. Right, absolutely. So th- this little girl was feeling guilty because she left. Um, a little bear at home that she took for the weekend, but it was the class's bear and Mm. she was was supposed to bring it and she thought her teacher was going to be mad at her. Um, But helping her, just naming that emotion, oh, you're feeling guilty. Yes, I'm feeling guilty. That's what it is. Um, Once you know what you're feeling, you can move out of it. but But if you don't know that, then you have nowhere to go. What's the danger of not allowing them to feel, I mean, just as adults, what's the danger of not gaining these social emotional skills? Issues in the tissues. Um, This is emotional pain is physical pain. Mm. Uh, There's a book I read a few years ago. It's called uh, The Body Keeps the Score, Mm. right? So emotions that are not um, transmitted get transpired they are somewhere within us and they come up when they're adults they come up in fits of anger and things like that now specifically with boys and men displays of emotion are not seen as something positive and boys learn to suppress those and but other emotions are okay right like anger is somewhat okay um versus crying or fear you know boys are not supposed to show that and so it gets suppressed it gets passed on and we don't live the life that we want to live all of these things get suppressed. Like our, our brain is just recording, especially when we're young kids. Bruce Lipton, you know, our subconscious mind is just recorded and then we just push play. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going on for the rest of our lives. So that guides our interactions, that guides who we're going to be as leaders, who we're going to be at school, who we're going to be at work. It guides how we think about ourselves. Um, if we've been shamed for having certain emotions, we're not going to allow ourselves. We're not going to give ourselves permission to have those emotions and we just can't be fully happy or healthy you know when you when you think about something that you're stressed about you can feel it somewhere you know everyone holds it in different places so I know for me like I feel it in my neck and my shoulders I get tense mm-hmm. um, some people don't eat when they're stressed because they know they're not going to be able to handle that food and digest it that it's more in this in the stomach and the in the digestive system so it manifests as physical pain it ma- and and according to the body keeps the score it manifests as disease mm-hmm. it's trauma we hold all that trauma and we know this from you know the adverse childhood experiences um which you're probably familiar with um you know nine or ten markers of um trauma and stress adversity that children have experienced um if, if you have a score of more than four or five on those, um, you're more at risk for heart disease. Um, you know, all of these really cancer, everything is higher for those people who have experienced those things as children. Mm-hmm. So we know that trauma stays in the body. And I think that's a big reason, <laughs> very big reason to practice you know, um, exercising our emotions. Absolutely. That's a great way to end. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're out of time. This was really awesome. And thank you for sharing all of this wisdom with us. I know that this is going to be a big help to a lot of students and a lot of parents. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So North Texas Giving Day was an incredible success this year. We had 144 donors who gave $10,300 to help fund our free tutoring program. So thank you for your sacrifice and for giving from your hearts. It really was a big deal to us. And special thanks to our corporate donors, Tarrant Roofing, 
Christian Brothers of Grapevine and Southlake, Renewal Medical Centers of Tex of North Texas, Brighter Possibilities Family Counseling, TCAL Kids, and Caliber Barber College. And also, School Dazed and I have been nominated for two Sharky Awards this year. We are nominated for Best Blue Bowl Show of the Year and Best Female Host. So thank you so much for that honor. And we would love to win, but we can't do that without you. So head to schooldazedshow.com and cast your vote. You can also go on the Fishbowl Radio Network Facebook, uh, uh, internet website. I'm sorry, I can't get that out. But, and that's fbrn.us and you can vote there as well. And I will put a link in the Facebook live feed here for your convenience. So go out and vote. Next week, I'll sit down with Holly Nasky, the coordinator of the Gifted and Advanced Academics Department of Irving Independent School District. She is a 23-year veteran in the field of education and will talk to us about gifted and talented students and the programs available to them. So make sure to share that with your parent friends about next week. Also, head to our website, schooldazedshow.com, for more information. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And do you, YouTube... You can find episodes of School Days and other videos featuring the fun educational programs we offer on our YouTube channel. Just search for Noggin Educational Foundation. And last but not least, we always want to end our show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please email me at info at schooldaysshow.com. Have a great week. School Days is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.